Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufactured in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden makes the best acrylics, oil paints, and watercolors that you can buy. You can find them in your local art store, or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join us this summer in New York City or virtually from your studio to learn from dedicated artists and expand as a maker in the legendary Marathon program. Rigorous and immersive, Marathons unfold over 10 days from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time daily and present an extensive range of art-making strategies, comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. Expansive, first-hand discoveries propel artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as direct methodologies for understanding one's experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Generous partial scholarships are available. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Fulcrum Coffee Roasters are a Seattle-based, full-service, wholesale coffee roaster and retailer with over 25 years of experience defined by a focus on premium roast coffee and local and global community. Check out their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. Sound and Vision listeners can get 20% off your order of coffee by using the code ALFREDSTUDIO when you make an online order. Robert Moreland is an artist born in Baton Rouge, based out of Los Angeles, California. He's had solo exhibitions at Welding Cran Gallery in Los Angeles, Chi Gallery in Seoul, The Whole Gallery in New York, Found Space in Los Angeles, Martine Chasson Gallery in New Orleans, amongst many others. He's had group exhibitions at Diane Rosenstein Gallery in LA, the Frederick R. Weissman Museum of Art in Los Angeles, Eric Firestone Gallery in East Hampton, Harper's Books in East Hampton, Work Arts in Los Angeles, the Library Street Collective in Los Angeles, and the Contemporary Arts Center in New Orleans, amongst others. He's shown at art fairs in Korea, in California, Chicago, Copenhagen, Denmark, and Santa Monica, and his work is found in the Ku House Museum of Art and Design in South Korea and the Frederick R. Wiseman Art Foundation in L.A., he was a nominee for the Rima Hort Mann Foundation in 2016, and I caught up with Robert from Los Angeles on the occasion of his current show that's called The Concept of Calm at the Whole Gallery in New York. We spoke about being the youngest son, skateboarding, assemblage, Louisiana, and much more. Here's our conversation. I know a ton about, you know, your process and the all the like it, it's just really intriguing work so i'm i'm, I'm it's funny because a lot of times people will say like you're not really talking about the work that much you're talking more to the about the person's life or whatever but i think that's really mm-hmm. interesting because a lot of times you don't get to hear that with artists yeah no i i prefer that well and oftentimes you know especially with my work i mean i can talk process i can talk you know where certain ideas have come from and how they developed but you know there's not the work is kind of the work there it is on the wall um and i, I don't need to explain too much more beyond that I right but you you put it on a t because 
<laughs> when people see your work, they're going to, I mean, the process is so much a part of that, of seeing it's pretty much work, everything. you know, so yeah. it, it's like yeah. when you go see a, an electronic musician and they've got like all these pedals totally. and like synths yeah. and, you know, it's just like a, and like, there's going to be the guys after the show, like, hey man, how, what, what kind of pedal is that, that you ran that transmogrifier yeah. through, you know, and <laughs> it's just going to happen. Yeah. I came up with a bunch of guys like that and oftentimes, um, the equipment's cooler than the uh, the right. end product. Right. Yeah, people are more um, dazzled by the setup than the uh, the, the yeah. result. Not to talk trash about my friends, they're pretty talented, I think. But well, you know, yours I mean. is not like that. I feel like it's well, at least from my opinion, it's it's a it's a good combination of like the formal, the process, and then its relationship to work that I've always been really interested in and engaged in you know so yeah it's it's definitely stemming from artists that we recognize you know we can see it in the work the ellsworth kelly's the donald Jones. yeah but see i think i think that's for your the layman viewer but i think it, there's a lot of deep cuts of stuff like you know joe bear and you know people mm. like blinky and richard tuttle like there's a lot of like other stuff that i think is yeah definitely Everything from like architectural renderings, I think of to like, um, God, there's so, there's so, like archogram. Do you remember? I don't know if you know those. Those kind of like the British no. visionary architects who did these amazing zines and they were like architectural drawings that were just crazy. And, oh, I would love that. Yeah, but it's about like exploding your expectations of something that is, you know, traditionally seen in a formal way that, that is a familiarity with it with history, but then exploding that out mm -hmm. to another area you know yeah which i don't think is that easy to do no especially if you want to do it you know simply and to the right. point i don't so. know why but the reference in my mind that just popped in was like a horror movie today like it's it's hard <laughs> okay. to do something different or you know it's a medium that has like a oh a i see in a sort of rote kind of way that they operate you know yeah yeah i think so i mean i i I feel fortunate that I've stumbled across this sort of method and thought process. And, uh, and I'm, like I said, I'm definitely borrowing from a lot of other artists in the past, but I feel like I've, like you said, maybe broken that mold just a little bit. Well, just to be honest, who isn't? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are we supposed to do? You know, seriously at this point? No, I think, I think it's just, it's funny. I think, with maybe figurative painting, which there's a lot of figurative painting going on right now. Well, there always is, but you, you notice it's yeah. in the spotlight a little bit. So, you know, there's something about the, the human form that we as humans are just like, yeah, that's our story. Or, or we don't necessarily pin it specifically to times and periods as much as, you know, mm -hmm. someone is doing something that's like hyper minimal abstraction, like, it's going to be Robert Ryman, you know, or like something like that's going to pop right. in. And it, it's could because totally. it's separated from our sort of, you know, reflective experience of the visual. It's, it's, it's more isolated. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, the more, I don't know, the other words just so deeply ingrained in our DNA to recognize a human figure. It is us. Yeah, there's so, just so much default stuff happening, you know. Yeah. 
but you know there are some artists these days that are doing some interesting things with that type of work oh sure. definitely no i'm talking more about the default of like the way the viewer experiences the work you know there's just mm-hmm. something about seeing a face or a figure that immediately puts you in a certain viewer position unconsciously you know oh, totally yeah we're just geared to do that with that stuff. And unfortunately, a lot of times with people who aren't well-versed with looking at art or don't know that much about it, abstraction puts them in a much different place. <laughs> yeah. And oftentimes they try their damnness to find the face. Oh, you yeah, know? yeah. It's kind of like what they, you know, you talk to some people who um, don't, you know, they're not around the arts that much. And I mean, it happens to me even with some of my work, some somebody will come in and they feel like their job is to associate the shape or the piece with something that they know, yeah. you know, which is, uh, I think we all did that at some point. Yeah. It's human. Growing human nature, up. I think. Yeah. To- totally. It, it, it probably evolutionarily wise, it, it probably takes the fear out of it a bit. If you can relate to it in some sort of like, yeah. you're not so yeah. lost. Or like that's something like yeah. me in a way. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I get it. There's a face in there. Right. So how does like a guy who, you're, you were born in New Orleans, right? Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge. So you grow yeah. up. About an hour yeah, from yeah. New Orleans. No, I, but I love. Yeah. Have you been to Yeah, there? I mean, I, when I used to play music, New Orleans was our favorite place to play, or at least mine. Yeah. I mean, it was just great. Yeah. Great energy. Music is just so. That's what it's, it's about. It's baked into the dna you know in a real like primal real way not like a forced i think no they're not trying to become a music city they can't yeah it's just it's there it is what they are so uh but yeah i mean so how did you happen (laughs) that's a good question my wife always asked me that i so i did i ended up living in new orleans for several years but um born in baton rouge uh I actually, my mother is an art conservator. Oh, really? So I grew I grew up around art. You know, was, she's a she's a um, very accomplished art conservator down there, and she, uh, you know, I I grew up in her studio, just looking at, you know, it's a different type of art that is uh, collected down there and brought through her her studio. He worked right. on so it was a lot of. Um, you know, just like 18th century paintings and um, Ottoman prints and things like that. So I was always around it, but there was never really any sort of contemporary or, you know, further out uh, type of work in the studio. Occasionally there'd be like a Rauschenberg print or something. But anyway, so um, being around her, but she, you know, she's less of an artist, more of a chemist, scientist type person. Right. Um, and then, you know, I really wasn't really messing with art very much back then. I mean, I drew and I played with Plato like every other kid, probably. Right. Um, grew up basically running in the woods and Having a good time. Sports. I mean, Baton Rouge is big with sports. Uh, yeah, it's a big soccer town, actually. I played soccer for 
probably 10 years or something yeah. like that. I never liked it, ever. <laughs> You're a big soccer yeah, guy, that's right? that's a long time to not enjoy it. Was that mom and dad? Well, it was a soccer family. Oh, okay, so. Yeah. Oh, boy. I'm the youngest of four. So, so everyone played? Yeah. I think one of my sisters didn't play. She played volleyball. It was soccer and volleyball and swimming. I swam for even longer. Um, but I really just, I didn't like team sports at all. I ended up picking up a skateboard and I felt much more uh, at home with that sport yeah. than I did with any of the team sports. So. Yeah, that's per- was it perfectly timed? Because like when I started playing skating, I feel like that was maybe when, well... I was still playing soccer, but you know, it's it was like the transition was starting to happen. It's like skateboarding sometimes comes into life right when you need that like punk, like I want to break away from, you know, the standard or the you know, oh, it's yeah. just like felt good to be doing that stuff, you know. Yeah, I just I couldn't handle all the the schedules and the soccer practice and the, which I guess you just got back from. Yeah, right? definitely. And and I feel like my son is probably right in your shoes because he's... Uh, he's, he's about I done. Mean, no, Dad, he plays and enough. he doesn't be, you know, because it's part of our family or whatever, you know, like he just plays. But I feel like yeah. he's going to eventually, you know, like he's creative. He likes music and other stuff. And mm-hmm. I feel like he's doing it. But if I if yeah. I didn't, you know, tell him it's practice time, he'd probably just be okay doing stuff on his computer. Yeah. <laughs> But the exercise, the team sports thing is good, though, as far as, like, your experience. Oh, totally. Love it or hate it, it teaches you something, you know. Well, you learn how to be around other people or, you you know. It's like school, too, at that age. It's more of a figuring out how society works and where you fit into it. Um, But, yeah, I I didn't like school either. I, I mean, even in kindergarten, I just... You were not having into it. it every every That's step of the early, way. Like I'm, the, this is not for me. It, I don't. I don't know. I just. I never had much um, patience for somebody expecting something of me that I didn't want to do. Yeah. I don't know. Luckily, I ended up finding art and skateboarding. Really, I mean, both of those things probably saved my ass more than I yeah. realized. But so school, I ended up. Um, I ended up dropping out of high school in the 10th grade and uh, did a little stint in a drug treatment center. But then um, I got my GED, didn't go back to high school. Um, and I felt better all of a sudden. Like I used to have a lot of anxiety around school. You know, that was a big part of my, my issue. Was it the um, social side or the learning side of it or both? It was more the, hey, you need to sit here and do this and you need to have this ready by this date kind of thing. I'm all for taking um, orders if it's something I'm interested in. Like as far as shows go or, you know, deadlines, I love them. I thrive on it. You know, I love I love deadlines. I know what I have to do every day when I wake up. But um, give me a deadline for something I'm not interested in and I'm just I'm not going to make it. It sounds so, like you you found the the right profession. <laughs> I did. And, you know, I realized, I, you know, I think maybe because I was the youngest of four, watching my older siblings, like, trip up here and there, do things that they regretted. I, I just, um, I saw opportunities to tailor my life by making this decision, 
this way or ignoring that situation. And I think I've been tailoring it like to the nth degree since I was probably a young teenager. Yeah. Were your your siblings much older or were they pretty close? There's one who's, he's a, I have one that's, I have a sister that's two years older and then another sister that's seven years older and a brother that's eight years older. Wow. So you got, you have a lot to look up at, you know what I mean? As far as what of experiences. Not to do. Yeah. Yeah, What's working and what's not working and you know, all that. Yeah. No, I could always thank, thank them for that. That was I mean, that's probably... Yeah, and probably a pretty good music collection or some leftovers, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, my sister, my my eldest sister, she turned me on to Jane's Addiction and Led Zeppelin, and, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers, all that stuff. Yeah. She she first showed me the uh, physical graffiti album when I was probably like 11 or something. And I Changed just, your life? I just blew the doors. Yeah, the cover, too. I can see that cover... Like immediately, yeah. you know. Yeah. Would, were these uh, CDs or vinyl? These. Or it was both. Yeah, it was both, and tapes, yeah. of course. Tape, tapes in the car. Yeah, yeah. nothing like vinyl. Though. Yeah, I guess it was before. It was there was there was more vinyl and tapes, and then the CDs came in later. But uh, you guys already know that. Now, did you play music, or were you just? No, I I did eventually. You know, I still have a guitar and. I so I ended up falling in with a bunch of musicians and, and artists, mostly musicians. So I lived in a house with um, three other guys that were all musicians and photographers and painters. Uh, we lived together for several years, just trying different things, and and they there were just musical instruments everywhere. So I never, you know, I I can I can't read sheet music. I can't. I'm not very good playing along with others, but I can play guitar and have a good time yeah. with it. You know? Yeah, that's kind of like the way. I mean, I learned how to play guitar by the listening to the Led Zeppelin box set and just the box set, just going at it. That was that was everybody's. Um, I was talking to my wife about that the other day. The Led Zeppelin box set, the Holy Grail. Yeah, definitely. It was it was everywhere, but it was expensive. Yeah, so. it was. I wonder yeah. if I wonder yeah. if generationally the box the word box set will confuse I don't think people. It, yeah, totally. But they were like, that was big. Like, if you got your hands on a oh, box set. Yeah. You, you were the man. to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a lot of, lot of lawns mowed to get that yeah, box Yeah, I only set. had, I think it was Zeppelin, and that was like a gift. I got it from someone else. It was like a gimme. Someone else, like, you know, uh-huh. was like, oh, you got to listen to this or something. And yeah. uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, I had a Coltrane box set and a uh, Ornette Coleman mm-hmm. box set. I think that was the the only ones I ever could do. But yeah, uh, yeah. you really get to know someone when uh, you have a box set. I mean, how many times do we listen to every minute of those box yes. sets? You know. Yeah, I know. I won. It shaped me. It shaped it shaped you a lot more than you realize. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you back then you were kind of limited. You know, now you can just change. It's shuffle. You can shuffle everything. But then you only yeah. had so many things, so you really got to know it. Even if it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Like, there were some CDs that I bought. You know, you'd have to buy it based on the art. And it wasn't that great, yeah. but you just <laughs> listen to it. It's like, well, I bought the thing. I guess I'm going to listen to it yeah. over and over again. <laughs> and you kind of accept that it is part of you right. now. Once you buy it at that age, you're like, oh, I guess I'm a, 
I'm this kind of person. <laughs> right. I'm a Pink Floyd guy. So, um, so you were when you talked about being in the house with the the musicians and the artists. I mean, was that pre mm-hmm. or post Trouble? Oh, Trouble. That was that was well okay. post. Trouble started pretty early. So it wasn't the music. I mean, the, it's the trouble. Crowd that, I mean, the skateboarding crowd can be trouble if you get into it. Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, look. Yeah, skaters can. I know. I know skaters very well. There's definitely always some trouble in each. Group. Yeah, there's like two kinds, right? There's the ones who like it, I was, and then there's the ones who like it. <laughs> uh huh. Well, there's the like. I always found not to get too far off into skateboarding, but you know, there's the the rowdy skaters who are dedicated to tall boys and making noise and bothering people on the street while they yeah. skate. And they're all, they were all great skaters. But then I found the skaters that were real shredders were very calm. They didn't, they didn't do that so much. The ones I really admired at least were much calmer. Yeah. They like, took off before the trouble started right. kind of thing. They were, even at a young age, they were kind of like focused on the craft a little more than the, the accoutrement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Skateboarding is a wild world. I just started watching that Betty series on HBO. The, I don't know. The female skaters in New York. I don't know what it is about. It's fantastic, man. It's just, this director apparently found these female skaters on the train and, Kind of Larry Clark style, just kind of picked them up and started shooting. And it's interesting, you know, it's just seems to be about kids in New York these days, especially around this, this group of skaters. It's really good. good. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, For me, skateboarding, I think the idea of it in relation to talking about art for me feels so hand in hand because it was such a catalyst of creativity for me because whether it was like mark gonzalez artwork for his skateboards or Mm -hmm. or, you know trans world or or a thrasher magazine and the visuals of that shoes like the you know the dino shoes or the vans or airwalks or whatever we Mm -hmm. it was all about the visual side of things and then like you know i i remember when like the search for animal chin came out and that was like huge i mean it introduced comedy sports art Craziness, Punk. just it's especially for you know uh, a young kid growing up in the in the South. That coming out was was mind blowing. There were actually hills in this yeah. video, you know, something I didn't have. Um, yeah, California. Yeah, that was San Francisco hills. I grew up in Pittsburgh, which is a very hilly city, but brutal yeah. because none of it's paved. It was just like not conducive. <laughs> Too yeah, old. It, was, it was funky. Yeah. You couldn't do those hills. And then you would see these guys yeah. carving like down Lombard Street or like down these like crazy hills and doing all, it was like yeah. why aren't our hills yeah, like was, their hills? <laughs> yeah. So we just had to build mini no, ramps, man. you know, that was like our way out of it. Yeah. Totally. Mini ramps. Baton Rouge actually had a lot of really great skate spots. You've probably seen some of them in some of those. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. Movies. We never yeah. had those. We never had those great like concrete parks and stuff. But I did go yeah. back home recently mm-hmm. for the first time in a while, and they had built one in my home. I live in Carnegie in Pittsburgh, and they had built this beautiful mm-hmm. skate park with a giant concrete like pipe 
like a full pipe. It was pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah. And it was packed. So it's it was good to see, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, they didn't build the park in Baton Rouge until a few years after I had moved on and even stopped skating. We tried to get a park for a decade. And, you know, back then skateboarding was a serious right. crime. So, yeah. you know, they were like, no, we're not going to. I don't know what they were thinking. They didn't want us skating on their property. Right. And we're like, okay, build us a skate park. Then we won't like smash bottles in the driveway. Boards going through your business windows, but they couldn't see nope, it. That costs money. They don't want to spend money. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it was probably fun yeah. for them to just chase us around and like yell at us all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of those guards, they did enjoy yeah. it. Power trip. So, yeah. So when you moved in with the the musicians and the art side, I mean, was that when you started fooling around with art, or when it, when did the not necessarily when did you uh, you know realize oh this is something I want to do do, but when did it become more involved? Yeah, I'd say it was well. Let's see. So I dropped out of high school, did some um, drug treatment and halfway house stuff, and I ended up escaping from the halfway house and coming back to my hometown. And that's when I basically moved in with, um, with these guys, um, lived in a few different apartments. I worked at like, uh, fried chicken joints, did the graveyard shift at that at one of those for a long time. Um, did a lot of dishwashing character building, uh, <laughs> character building. Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 there was some, while I was at work, it really wasn't that bad. You know, I'm the kind of person that needs to keep his hands busy in order to stay level. Yeah. I think like even now when I have days off, I need to do something just to, I don't know, feel okay. Right. So, so then I started work. Yeah. You know, I was washing dishes and then I started working in the kitchens and doing a lot of that. And then finally I got a job my neighbor growing up is a uh, stained glass artist and he does really amazing um, windows for cathedrals and big churches and stuff like that. That's pretty cool to so see, he, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm actually like, I, his work is still kind of blows my mind. It, was, it, it wasn't a, the, the traditional style, you know, he really knew how to use color and it's um really beautiful stuff. So, um, he actually taught me how to use tools and, you know, even when I was younger, I would help build fences with him and things like that. And he always put kind of an artistic bent on whatever he was doing. If he was building a pathway or a patio, he would make it special. Yeah. You know? So that kind of tipped me off to that possibility in the world of having some sort of style built into whatever you do. So then I started working for him. I, I worked for him for about five years doing stained glass, which was really cool. But in the end, and that's when I started getting interested in like doing some of my own stuff. And I tried to do the stained glass thing, but it was all just, it had too many rules and limitations for me to really feel it deep down that I really wanted to do it. Um, and then I ended up working for a, um, a furniture, a 
fine wooden furniture guy, a carpenter that was not too far down from where I used to work. And that's when I learned how to really use all the tools in the wood shop. And I kind of fell in love with that, just being covered in sawdust every day. And at the end of the day, there was something built. Whether it was finished or not didn't really matter, but there was proof of actual progress. Yeah. And I I really liked that a lot. Um, So I did that for several more years. And then um, at that point, I was living in that house um, with with my friends. And this is right off LSU campus. They were all in school. They all went to LSU um, for, you know, mostly for art degrees. So I actually, even though I never went to LSU, I feel like I got kind of an art degree right. there because I would go to classes. The professors knew me just because I was around and I would sit in on um, lectures and sit in on some some uh, studio classes and go hit the dumpsters, you know, at the end of a semester and grab a bunch of uh, art supplies. And so I started making work, mostly found object stuff. Um, which I really liked. I liked that a lot for a long time. So I was doing that. And then eventually some of the professors at LSU, you know, we would put on art shows at friends' houses or whatever. And eventually um, some of the professors would ask me to come do slide lectures for their painting classes. Just, I think, which was a real boost for me. You know, it's like, oh, wow. Someone thinks I'm good enough to come talk to a bunch of kids. Half of them don't even want to be there, but it was, it was a good ego yeah. boost. Um, so I was making a lot of found object work and actually I was doing some woodworking as well. And then, you know, throughout those years, I felt in love with the Rauschenbergs and, the, you know, New York in the 50s and 60s kind of stuff. And his combines really blew my yeah. mind. He was a huge inspiration for a long time. So I read everything I could about artists of that era. Um, and then eventually I, I realized like the things that were making my pieces beautiful were things that already existed. And I was simply inserting them into a certain parameter and using those to make work that, that uh, as far as I knew was working. And that eventually started bothering me. And I started feeling a bit like a fraud because I was, it wasn't all me. You know, I I wasn't creating something that was me through and through. And so after years of that, and by this point in time, I'm I'm living in New Orleans. It's probably, I've been there for like six years. Um, And I, I, I wasn't working anymore. I mean, I, well, I take that back. I ended up working at my mother's um, art conservation studio for about eight years and really learning how to take my time with things and pay close attention to detail. Were you painting for that? Uh, very little of that. It was mostly, you know, lining old paintings, doing, right. breaking things down. Um, I would treat prints, you know, if there'd be like foxing or stains on prints. I was the guy that would put them through the wash and get rid of that stuff. A lot of chemistry stuff involved. That stuff with that. is so cool though. Or, like 
No, it's it's amazing. And I was pretty good at it. Um, and my mother wanted me to take over the business, but I was also making my own work. And it was kind of eating at me that I was working on somebody else's right. work. Um, and the money was good. You know, I was able to work. You know, if I worked a 40-hour week, I'd, I had a good chunk of change. And then I, I would be able to stop working for a week or two and just work on my work. So, And my mother didn't mind if I came and went. You know, the work was always there. So that was fine with her. Kind of a nice schedule. Yeah, I was a bit spoiled. It had its, up, you know, there was some ups and downs. Um, and eventually I left due to some of those things. But um, then I moved to New Orleans, uh, had a studio and an old, I found this building that had an old uh, seafood freezer. It was like a cold storage freezer. And it had like the giant fr- fridge door yeah. on it and everything. And, and, but it was like, I don't know, it was probably like 2,000 square feet. And it, I think it cost me like 300 bucks or something like that. So I turned that into my studio and I'm working there constantly. And people, every now and then I would make some sales, but um, I was able to get by. Were you uh, still doing, like at this point, were you doing stuff that was like using ready-made materials is, or and sculpting? Yeah, mostly. And I was doing, I, I was doing some painting. You know, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination a, a painter, painter. I've never played with oil paints or anything like that. I've, I've never even taken a class. On, I mean, I may have taken a class in my freshman year of high school on painting for two days or something. Um, so I have a lot of respect for painters who really paint. Like you, for instance, you do a really good job. Thank you. And I like it. It's the attention to detail that I... Uh, I can I can really respect you know I know that stuff takes a lot of time. Yeah, it's funny though. I don't you really can, consider myself a painter painter either. I guess if we yeah. think of you know traditional, I mean that's how I learned how to more paint. than I, me. I learned how to paint like you know like John Singer Sargent style, but mm-hmm. I mean that's been you know decades. So I yeah, those are the, those are the real yeah. things. I mean acrylic is, but you've got your own thing. I guess. I don't know. It's like the hierarchical thing. I don't really, I kind of don't pay it any mind really, but it deep down, we all, I think a lot of us have that (laughs) feeling of like, yeah, oil paint. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, it's that it's, it would be like music. It's like, yeah, if you have a band with a guitar, bass, drums and, you know, synth or whatever, as opposed to just, you know, doing it on, you know, garage band or something. So it's all music. It's all art, but you know, certain things are different. We know where to put the real respect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's amazing. I get students sometimes that you know they push around oil paint and they're just it's just innate. They get it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you yeah. just every once in a while, there's like one in every other oil painting class or something. You're like that that one's just got it. You know. Yeah. I wasn't that yeah. guy. And I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you sometimes wonder if you can teach art. You know teach technique and they can take it from there but some people just they've got the eye they've got the technique yeah i think you teach a lot more of the ideas of you know how to think about making and the, all the peripheral a lot of it is is decentralized from the actual making 
But it does feel good yeah. though when you're in a class and someone keeps making brown paint because they're mixing all the crap together. <laughs> and you point to their palette and you're like, do you see what your palette looks like? And do you see what your painting looks like? Yeah, That's brown. why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we all need some guidance from time to time. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, so now I'm in New Orleans. Um, you know, the, the New Orleans art scene is there, but it's not the scene that I fit into. Um, I had some good collectors who, you know, they really thought that I did. But, and like I said, at that time, it was mostly kind of assemblage painting, right. you know. It um, it wasn't just, you know, found art, kind of ready-made sculpture, but there was some painting involved. And I thought I did a pretty good job, you know. I thought, wh- one thing I'm grateful for is I, I've been delusional enough the whole time to think, oh, I'm, I'm good at this, you know. And I think you've got to be, right? I mean, I also really cut down on my options by bowing out of school because all my friends they were getting degrees things really started getting hot when all my friends started graduating yeah. and i was just skating and smoking weed and hanging out and making some weird lino prints and right. stuff like that i started thinking oh wow i i gotta start taking something seriously um and at that point, I did, I applied for, are you familiar with Penland School of Craft of North Carolina? It's near Black Mountain. I don't know it. You check it out. It's basically, you know, it's this, this great um, collection of buildings up on this mountain outside of Brevard, North Carolina. It's kind of like Skohegan or some of these other places, yeah. you know. Um and I ended up getting a, they allowed me to come if I washed dishes and like mowed the lawn kind of thing. And this was the first time I was around, this, Baton Rouge was, this is before I moved to New Orleans, Baton Rouge wasn't a town that was like looking for artists to support, right. you know. And people just didn't talk about it like that. It's a big football town, you know. Um, but I went there and I took a, a metal smithing class, like a fine jewelry scale metal smithing class. And I took a chainsaw wood sculpting class, nice. which, which was fun. It really was, but I don't do either of those things anymore. I mean, I, I do respect jewelry making a lot. Um, I could see in another life having gone that direction, but here I am now. Um, but I was, I was finally in a, uh, an environment where people, er, everyone there just talked about art, everyone there. Like it, it opened my eyes and was like, oh, this is a lifestyle. This is reality for these people. This is what they do yeah. all the time. And I was just making whatever, you know, there were, there were instructors and teachers that would come. There were, there were some like renowned artists that would be asked to come teach classes, teach courses there. So I was there, I think I ended up getting like, I don't know, like two, three week courses or something like that. And by the time I left, people, people just let it, let me know that they thought I was doing good work, which that was the first time I'd heard that from anybody. And it, it really went a long way coming from people who 
have decided they can do this with their lives. You know? Right. They were dedicated to it. Yeah. So by the time I got back home, I didn't really care what anybody thought about the decisions and the path I was taking. And I was full bore. I was, I was addicted. So I just, I was making work constantly. Um, that was a big eye opener. So I decided, okay, well, I'm just, I, you know, I've, I've worked in, I don't want to be a chef. I don't want to go to chef school. I don't want to be a dishwasher. I don't want to be a full-time woodworker. So let's do this, this art thing. And um, I ended up getting a show, my first show. Uh, a friend of mine owned a gallery and, you know, he gave me a show and he ended up selling several works. And then I started realizing, wow, I can maybe actually pay my bills doing this, which was exciting. And after that, that was it. There was no going back. So I've just dedicated all my time to art making since then. Yeah. Those are like the two, those two revelations. And it sounds like the experience you had at that place in North Carolina was kind of like the experience a lot of people have when they, you know, like the teacher who just champions the work and you respect mm-hmm. them. So you think like, oh, well, if they think I'm good at this. You know what I mean? Kind of yeah. puts the wind yeah. under your sails to take it to another level. Yeah. And then if you can actually do something to where like you're in a show or you sell some work or people respond like that too, it's a whole other level of like, oh, well, try to like maybe, you know, I guess work the day job, but maybe I can try to focus more of my time and efforts and at least buy myself some time and more time in the studio to do this more often because obviously yeah. I'd rather sit in the studio and make things than just, you know, wash the dishes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what happened. I, I got this. So the, those first shows was the work still in the assemblage care, you know, category, and mm-hmm. was it yeah, was it kind of, of like loose? Was. And I mean, it's funny because you know if you throw Rauschenberg out there and assemblage, like in my mind, I just started to think of like converging, just like you know, materials just slamming together, and that can yeah. it can be there can be order or chaos. You know, it's 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 not yeah, prescriptive, yeah, yeah. but when you think Rauschenberg, you think of that raw physicality of like the motion, the slapping of these things together. and that, Yeah. You know. Well, at that point, the Rauschenberg stuff hadn't really come into my life. Um, at this point, like, I, I don't have any art training, aside from a few weeks in North Carolina with a bunch of hippies blowing glass and throwing pots, you know. Um, so I would, I would look at art books, you know, I'd find things on campus, like, guys I was living with you know they had their their art books but I I really hadn't buckled down and started doing real research so what I was making was it was just purely I don't know I don't even know where this stuff was coming from I just I think I learned how to balance you know different colors and shapes and I think balance and composition with my, my strong suit at the time I just basically went with that and a lot of it was monochrome, monochromatic stuff, which made it easier. You know, I've made I've made so many pieces of art, and most of them were not successful. But you know, it all piles up, leads to something. Yeah, I've I think a lot of us have made some duds along the way. I tell my students, you know, <laughs> yeah. in undergrad, you know, it's the time to just make clunkers and just get fail get get that all out of your system you know 
exercise yeah. the I don't know what I'm doing demons and start to build up a repertoire of like, well, I've tried that and, you know, that didn't work. And, well, this is interesting, but it doesn't really look that, you know, and you kind of build your way towards it. Yeah. And I find I learn something new every time, you know, especially when I'm making mistakes. Yeah. I, mean, I think people know that's true. But so eventually I went to New Orleans, kept doing my thing, um, making work, but realizing that it really, like, I wanted to be in a bigger city. So my wife and I moved to Los Angeles almost a decade ago. And then I got to LA and it was everything I thought I knew about the art world, everything I thought about that I knew about just art in general was just kind of thrown out the window. And for the first year, all I did was go to museums and galleries and, you know, read books and try to catch up on all the stuff I had no idea existed, which was pretty mind blowing. Yeah, it's a whole, yeah. whole new world. This is like, you know, in growing up in Pittsburgh, there's definitely art there. You know, I was around the Carnegie Museum. I was around like the mattress factory and Warhol was always a presence there. Yeah. But it's provincial, you know? And then you hit, like for yeah. me, when I hit New York, it was like, whoa, you know, this is, there's, yeah, everything is going on here and the pulse of the city and the, the yeah. you know, it's. Most of your listeners know exactly what Yeah, it's just invigorating, yeah. you know, to, yeah. to get into that situation. Great. But in LA, it's, it's its own thing, you know? It's just, yeah, yeah. It's so. It's not at all no, like New York. It's just a whole other can of worms, you know, geographically, yeah. like the way things are related to schools and the light and. Yeah. You know. Very academic out here. Sure. Yeah, it's and and in a way, it it's always felt from the outside that like the scene could never be built out of like just being there necessarily because it's it's kind of like disassociate. I mean, everything's split into little camps and think you know you yeah. When yeah. I had my first show there, someone was like sent me a note like you know a couple of days later and was like, hey man, I really meant to get to your opening, but. I went to these other two and that was all I can make. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's a real bummer about LA. You know, if you want to go hit the galleries on a, a night where, you know, everybody's out, you've got to drive for at least a couple of hours. Unless you want to stay close to the east side and downtown, right. those galleries. But if you want to go to the west side or, you know, like if you want to go to Blum and Poe and then Kordansky or if there's something even further in Santa Monica and then come all the way to the east side. You're just driving. You got to pick, you know, you're like, sorry, buddy. Totally. I love you, but you're down on number four and I'm just not going to get to you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think people, I think people understand it. Oh yeah. And openings don't matter. I mean, people go see the show as long as you see the show. So there's something nice about that, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess that was a lot of acclimating. I mean, did the work just change when you got there? Because you're like all of a sudden oh, you're seeing I mean, all the stuff, your new atmosphere. Yeah, I basically threw everything out the window and just started fresh. Because I like I, when I was talking about feeling a bit like a fraud, I, I just I realized that the success I thought I was having was based on you know me trying to ape Rauschenberg to some extent, or me finding objects that were inherently beautiful and slapping them on a canvas and being like, Oh, isn't that beautiful? So I felt like I was just 
borrowing things from other people and just things that occurred naturally. And I wanted to finally make something that was me 100%. Like I made it all. Right. And, it, um, and someone I, I eventually, so I started, I eventually got a job art handling, which was even more mind blowing because when you become an art handler and you're from the South or some small town in the Midwest and you get an art handling job in Los Angeles or New York or someplace bigger, you're just, your head is just, it explodes. Yeah, you get to- the things I thought the art world were about were just <laughs> a dream. It was all a facade. None of it was real. And you, you just learn more about the business and who's who in it. And yeah, it's, it's an eye opener, right? It's, it's gnarly. It's gnarly. Yeah. It's really and you're gnarly. seeing it from that angle too, which is like a specific angle. There's got to be a parallel in like Hollywood to someone who comes and I don't know, they're oh, an totally. intern at, you know, some show or whatever. And they're like, holy shit, like this is how it works. You know what I mean? And you're like yeah. that. I feel sick. <laughs> 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 yeah yeah you feel sick for a few days yeah you realize well it's a business and yeah some of these people yeah you know they they're not afraid to step on the, the people. little people to get to where they get i guess so yeah not so, all like that obviously but you know that i mean no, no they're all like that's that. true that's true no one's listening <laughs> no one knows. yeah it's totally they're all jerk no <laughs> yeah yeah it's like finding a good person in that world's like finding a unicorn mm-hmm <laughs> They don't exist. No, I'm kidding. Um, so yeah, that must have been a lot too. Yeah, it was awesome. And I was also all of a sudden around, and all of a sudden I'm hanging Rauschenbergs in somebody's $50 million house, yeah. you know, and being such a, a fanboy in my youth. That I mean, just being around that stuff was almost, I don't know, spiritual in a way. It was crazy. I wish it was still like that. That's been kind of worn off. But um, that's all right. But yeah, all of a sudden being in, you know, being around insane wealth and around paintings that you'd only seen in books your whole life. And all of a sudden you're, you're handling them, hanging them. Surreal. It's just your job. Yeah, very yeah. surreal. Yeah, it was cool. And I, I ended up working for a guy. It was a small operation out here and there were probably only you know, 10 or 12 at 12 of us at a given time. It was cool. I learned a lot. Um, And I, you know, being from the South, I think I was inherently friendlier than most people (laughs) just because that's the way it is. And some of the people I worked with would just be like, stop talking to What are you doing? Stop talking. And my boss, oddly enough, was like, I don't care. Just don't, don't fuck anything right. up, you know, and don't don't bother them, yeah. you know. Have some tact about it. He didn't, he didn't mind it. And it eventually led to me meeting a few collectors, dealers that um, I built some sort of rapport with and was eventually able to invite them to come look at work in my yeah. studio. And then things, you know, one thing led to another. I mean, a big part of it was just finding someone who, I respected here in Los Angeles to look at my work and let me know what they think. And um, eventually one guy came by and he, he, like, he was like, you know, I, I like these paintings. These are, these are fine. You know, these are decent. <laughs> yeah, all right. um, 
and this is what I want. I wanted someone to tell me, right. you know, like I had my ideas of, of what quality was, but I'm, I was fairly ignorant about most of this stuff. Um, and then eventually one guy was like, so you build your own stretchers? I was like, yeah. And he just laughed. He's like, I don't know anyone who builds their own stretchers. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. And he's like, why don't you incorporate your woodworking skills and your ability to do things that other artists that he was dealing with and a lot that I know today that don't know how to build stretchers or even stretch a canvas. And some of these are fairly big artists, you know? And he was like, start bringing that into your work. You That's know? so interesting. You I was, thought he was kind of like yeah. shaming you that like, oh, no one, no one makes their own stretchers. I think, I think there probably was a little bit of that in there. But then he said, why don't you incorporate some of those skills into what you do and try to build something out of that? And that was generous. That cha- that totally changed everything. You know, all of a sudden I just stopped doing what I was doing. Um, and I started just playing more with building paintings rather than just stretching a canvas and putting paint right. on it. And that's eventually what led to the work I do now. It went through several iterations, a lot of them that no one's seen before. Um, and I would show, I would show this, there's two, two people mainly that I would show the work to and they'd give me their opinion. And one of them was, I think, trying to get me to a point where he would start selling my work or yeah. something, which I wasn't 100% crazy about because I did want to be picky about who I did business with. But, um, and then eventually I landed on the, the very beginning of the body of work that I'm continuing now. And, um, and I felt really good about it. I felt like I, I found something that I can really work with. And I was very proud of it. And I showed it to him and he was like, oh, that's cool. Why don't you make these in metal and fill the sides in? And you don't need to do these hinges. Just, just make a metal sculpture, you know? Wouldn't that be cool with these different angles? And I just, I thought, we don't need any more of that. Wait, was this a collector was, or a dealer? He was a collector slash dealer. Look, there's a, there's a lot of collector, dealer. My, I'm doing airports right, right now here in Los Angeles and in New York, as I can imagine, who they just, you know, they're just art guys who make money doing things, you know, flipping, a lot of flippers that right. around. And that was helpful as well, learning who not to bring to the studio. <laughs> not to work with. Who not, yeah, if you got an email, do not answer it. Because there was a time when I was desperate enough to where, you know, some of these some of these flipper, dealer, whatever you want to call them, people who find young artists who are desperate and they come in and they buy everything in their studio and they essentially own them after that. They give them like 10 grand for entire studio and then they build a false market around that person and they end up making money and you get burned up and left um became hyper aware of those types and uh and stayed away but it got close there where if if one of them had approached me i might have said okay let's do it well when you gotta pay bills or eat you know it's hard to say no to buying out the studio yeah and los angeles isn't a cheap town yeah it's my my whole my whole idea of money changed dramatically as well you know what i thought was a lot of money 
growing up, it's just not a lot of money at all compared to just what your monthly bills are. And my Isn't that funny? Like when you go, if you ever look back <laughs> at your hometown, the like real estate and the play, the neighborhoods oh, that were like the rich neighborhoods and you're like, yeah, Oh yeah. man, come, you know, that's on your $50,000. Like what I thought was a mansion when I was a kid. And, and I used to yeah, yeah. tell people or be like, Oh, he's from that part. Oh yeah. That there's like really rich area. And then I go back and see that area. I'm like, Oh, that's not. They're a bunch of bums. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I know. It's, I know what you're talking about. It's, it's an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. Like major cities like but Los Angeles in, in it's and New good. York, just recalibrate your expectations of like, you know, what yeah. is, and, and, Completely. and I totally understand when people like, you know, family or people who don't live in, you know, a major city like that and hear the costs of things. And you're like, what the hell? Like, why would anyone pay that much money yeah. for a 1200 yeah. square foot place? And it's just, it is kind yeah. of, you know, bonkers. You pay for opportunity. Yeah. That's what you're paying for. Right. I've, the thing about LA that I've never felt in any other city was no matter how destitute I was, no matter what the situation, I knew I could wake up in Los Angeles and know that something could happen. To right. Me, you know, like there's opportunities swarming everywhere. There are total assholes in the city every day making it big, doing whatever it is that they do. So that that was a big boost too, knowing that there was opportunity. When I was in the South, and I love the South, don't get me wrong, but I think I, th- I think deep down I knew like it wasn't going to happen. That much, right. You know, and I th- I think a lot of you know I, I did some pretty heavy drinking for a long time, and I th- I've just been realizing it lately that it's probably due to the fact that I knew that my dreams weren't going to come true down there like there's a sense of hopelessness in the field that i was in yeah i guess the most you can hope for in some of those places just because of the structure of you know what's there for that field of like art you know yeah. you could be a medium or a big sized fish in a very small pond but there's just not a big ocean there to jump into yeah. you know and it's not the town's yeah. fault or anything but it's like you know, if you want to reach more people and have more people see what you're doing, I mean, that's why people go to those places. You know, yeah. they're not those places yeah. for no reason. Are they? Are they yeah. a little bonkers sometimes? Yeah, you know. But yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it's a yeah. It's, each place yeah. has its own ups and downs. You know. Yeah. Totally. I mean, you know, just living through this past year in the city. And then knowing friends who have moved away from the city and have like, you know, upstate or out and, you know, you know, out in rural areas and you see them posting mm-hmm. pictures of like the big backyard and stuff. And you're like, man, they, they kind of nailed it on that one. It looks nice. <laughs> yeah. My, my wife and I went out to Santa Fe a few weeks ago because we were deep to, in the end. I, I just want like. 50 acres, big studio, and a comfortable space. Don't we all? You know? I, f- I think that's the dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to do that. That's, that's my plan, eventually. Yeah. And then have maybe have something in LA as well. Because just being in Santa Fe for five days, I got a little claustrophobic. Yeah. Yeah. But after being locked down in Los Angeles for a year and a half, and I hadn't lost, I hadn't left LA in like three years before that, just cause I'm here working and 
you know, you lose sight and you, you get confused about where you are and why you're here. And it was good to get out and then come back and be like, all right, I love Los Angeles. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's amazing the, uh, the difference when you're hanging around working and you're just not traveling cause you're busy. There's a big difference between yeah. that and you're not allowed or you can't go anywhere. All of a sudden your brain yeah. is like, wait a minute. You're saying I can't leave yeah. if I don't want to, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's uh much more constricting on the brain in a way, you know? Yeah. It's just yeah. the concept of it. Yeah. You can, you can trick yourself into getting in some different states. Of For mind. sure. I'm fascinated by that collector dealer guy that there are these people that will go into an artist studio and say, you know what you should do? You should make that red. Mm-hmm. Isn't yeah. that crazy that yeah. people do that? And and I feel just so fortunate that I didn't make it red. Right. You know, like I feel like I I dipped into that and got out of it what I needed to 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 ride some sort of wave that was being propelled and and it brought me to the next test. You right. Because I I could have gotten eaten up by that. You know. Difficult. Yeah, because if there, if there is a little bit of money in it to where you can survive and pay for a studio, yeah, who's not you know, it's it. tough. How do you walk away from that? And then, yeah, you know, I think when you can sustain a studio or sustain, you know, your ability to just keep making things, you know, that's you'll do things for that. You know what I mean? Like you'll stretch, you yeah. know, what's comfortable to be able to do that. I think. Yeah. I mean, I worked in Macy's for a while when I first moved to New York. Oh, which wow. Was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Doing windows. You yeah, know, I was like, and this was around Y2K. Oh, well, at least there's, you know, at least there's like a rich history of doing windows in New York. That's what saved know? it. For, I mean, that's why I did it. I, yeah. I was, you know, yeah. as you had Rauschenberg, I had Warhol, and Warhol did windows, you know? Yeah. So I thought, well, yeah. hell, if he did it, what's good yeah. for Andy? Well, Rauschen- what's good for me? Yeah. Rauschenberg did, did too, yeah. too and uh, Pearlstein yeah. yeah those guys and Jasper Johns those guys did windows yeah. so I felt like hey this is uh, decades like, later yeah, but I'm, I'm right in the wheelhouse of what I need to be doing here yeah these are my contemporaries and I totally. met my wife in the windows working she was working there too so it worked out was she on the other side of the glass yeah. and you guys how'd you locked eyes you and know? touched the glass it was a miracle on 34th street yeah she was uh doing That's the fashion side of windows and i was doing production so you know uh, imagine that working Beautiful. environment was a little rough and charged yeah. i was yeah. told what to do all the time yeah some things yeah. never change <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's good stuff that's the yeah. truth no but it, you know it it paid the bills you know and i would go home at six or seven at night eat spaghetti and then paint until like one or two and then yeah. wake up the next day and have at it again, you know, until I was yeah. able to just save. And I remember when I saved enough to get, you know, a few months rent and I was like, all right, well, let me just take a little time off work. And then I, Big you know, day. I yeah. And I got in a two person show and, and I sold a couple of pieces and I was like, all right, I'm out. I quit. Yeah. And, which probably yeah. wasn't prudent. But I've been living in New York, you know what I mean? But I thought, hey, this buys me four months. I'm just going to make art and see what happens. Well, you you, ha- you have to take those risks. I think you have to. I mean, one of, the, one of the things that helped me a lot was never having a safety net, I think. It you is. Know, no degree, no real way to make money other than the menial labor, you know. That it's was a that. blessing. I 
thank my lucky stars that I didn't have like well off parents and that it was, they were just kind of like, yeah, just do your thing, you know, because I think when you grow up and you have money or you have security or stability, the idea of losing that is, is frightening. You know, it's like, Oh, what am I going to do if I can't afford? We grew up, I grew up and it was paycheck to paycheck. It was like, well, if we don't have whatever, you got to make do, you know? Yeah. So there wasn't a fear about it. Yeah. These it. days it must be harder for students a because school's so expensive and then b everything oh, is known you know what I mean like there's no well I'll just I'll go for it and now it's just like well you shouldn't do that because blah 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 you know a lot, a lot of rules yeah. which I guess is responsible <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I mean I didn't have that it wasn't you know in my DNA like it wasn't programmed into me yeah. Yeah, school thing. It's not cheap. No. You teach, right? I do teach. What did you teach painting and drawing or Yeah, yeah. I mean it changed it my you know, courses change, but I, I paint a lot of um upper level painting classes and drawing classes and mm. then theory stuff too. So and mm. some animation and, and digital painting. Yeah, you, you have another friend that teaches painting and drawing and now all of a sudden he's learning all these computer programs and He's the professor. Yeah. He's like, why are they asking me to do this? I don't know how to do this. <laughs> but you figured it out. Yeah, no, I I mean, it's, I never thought I would be working digitally, you know, in school yeah. or whatever. It just became part of my work through using mm-hmm. the computer to help out with the paintings. But, you know, it's, it's fun to teach, you know, students about like animation or, or digital painting in an unconventional way. Like it's not just like techie, you know, nerd yeah. out on the equipment stuff. It's more of like how you can put this into, you know, an, like your your own art and not, you know, fitting it in a shell of what everyone else does in those yeah, mediums, So The possibilities are limitless yeah. when you get creative. Um, I'm, I often say I'm, I'm blessed with a, um, a lack of technical proficiency in any given field, which mm-hmm. lets, lets me just say, you know. You don't get pigeonholed. Yeah, just go for it, you know. It's like I... Yeah. Would Robert Ryman be Robert Ryman if he was just an incredible figurative painter growing up? Maybe, I mean, maybe, but odds are, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel, I feel uh, my lack of education actually bothered me for a long time. Um, but I, I wouldn't be here if I'd gone the tr- tr- traditional route and gone to school. And I'm a big proponent for like using the tools you have and letting those boundaries dictate what you end up with yeah when you're done with something no i think which that's the- really helped me get to where i am now yeah just limited materials um i think one of the biggest lessons i learned painting or in art making was when to just stop painting because i like so many of us we just destroy paintings by going too far oh yeah the, death, and I, the overkill. Yeah, the overkill. I, I feel like I got a tourniquet on that pretty early. It worked out. That's good. That's not an easy, especially early on, that's not an easy that's skill, huge. you know? Yeah. I've seen so many poor paintings just get slaughtered <laughs> in those studios. <laughs> I mean, Lord knows I did it year after yeah. year when I was a student. So, you know, you just yeah. learn when to step away from 
it's just like that in life as you get older you know you learn when to not argue with your partner or you learn you know what battles are worth fighting yeah exactly some things are just best left you gotta let it go step away yeah but it's funny because i've gotten more aggressive as the more i teach with students where i'll be like nope stop that's done don't touch it mm-hmm. you know and they want mm-hmm. to and, and eventually they yeah. do and i let them but you know i t- I try to teach them that there can be a moment you know when you don't see it where there's a life there mm-hmm. you strangle it they just yeah <laughs> choke yeah. the life out of it you know <laughs> let it breathe yeah and there's something about that but i'm like a i'm big proponent like i i love what you were saying about you know listening to what you do and like incorporating that in and i'm like a big proponent of everyone's different because a lot of times people will say well should you go to graduate school or do you need school it's like there's mm-hmm. certain people who really need it and there's certain people it'll just kill the vibe and they won't want to do yeah. it you know so i think you yeah. gotta, it depends on the person you know everyone's different yeah absolutely and everyone has different skills and i think it's really cool that you know judging by the way you were talking about your past and these different things you were working through and your sensibilities of how you like to construct and work with certain things that when I look at your work, I'm like, yep, that feels right. You know? Yeah. Which I have so many friends and I've talked to so many artists who are incredible at what they do, but it's a struggle. Like they're just like, ah, this painting is killing me. Like, you know, they're just, it's taking the life Uh, out of them. And, you know that happens too. You know, not every oh man, not every uh, endeavor is easy. But um, it's really yeah. great that it seems like you you locked in with what just seems like it fits or it works with the way that your sensibility is. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like I said, I'm, I feel quite fortunate with that because I used to sit in front of the canvas and like beat myself up and stare at it for days and go through all the emotions of making the painting. Yeah. And now, I don't know, because of all of those days and because of the jobs I've had and the, the skills I've learned and the lack of tools and the lack of skill, you know, learning to appreciate that as well and kind of boiling it all down to what I'm working on now. Um, I, feel, I feel like I'm somewhere that I, I just I want to continue playing with this idea and it's going to, it's already evolved a lot just in the past six years I've been messing with this. Um, and I, I try not to push it to evolve too quickly either, you know? Yeah. It all evolves naturally um, at its own pace. You know, I, I started originally making small maquettes, which um, was huge. You know, I, I decided, okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play with this idea of, these hinged uh, panels and simple line work. And, but I don't want to go through creating a whole piece every time. So I started playing with, I started cutting up um, like manila envelope folders, yeah. not the envelopes, but the, you know, the folders, the thicker ones and making my cats with those, which kind of blew the doors open because I could sit down and make, five or 10 maquettes in a day and really break through a lot of different thought processes and ideas and come to an even more well-rounded piece in the end. Was it a kind of a smooth transition from when you're making these maquettes as an idea to like, okay, 
this is how I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to make that on a larger scale. Or yeah, did I mean, that take a lot of tweaking and refining to get that oh, yeah, I, together? I It took a while. I actually, I've kept most of the earliest, early work and, you know, just learning what kind of screws to use, what yeah. kind of canvas, you know, how thick it needs to be. How does this canvas work with these colors? Because I also use drop cloth sometimes because it's got a whole, a wholly different, you know, tactile experience. Just the tooth of it's, you know, a lot more erratic. It's got different strands of color built in. Um, you know, I'm just learning what works and then learning, you know, the working in the art conservation field for years learning how to build things that are going to stand the test of time. You know, I think that was a big part of it as well. Learning what materials I could use that were going to be archival to some degree. Um, that's, that's a plus. Kinda, a lot of people don't get that. Yeah. And you don't have to, you know, what I've learned is cause I, I was like super hardcore about it and, you know, kind of getting hung up on it to a degree. And, um, my wife was like, do you think Rauschenberg is doing that? Do you think Andy Warhol thought about any of that stuff? Like, it's art. Chill out. It's going to be all right. Ah, the voice so, of reason. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's that's, that's a fine line, you know. You don't want to have a show and, like, in the last week, the face falls off of it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. So that's it's a balance. True. Yeah. Yeah, it's like if this color, you know, I remember using fluorescent colors in some work and like a friend was like, oh, it, the light fast quality, like this is going to fade a little bit over time. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, so yeah. is everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I try not to worry too much about that. I just tell people, don't put it in direct sunlight. You'd be, be okay. Yeah. For the most part. Definitely. So the show you have up now is kind of like the culmination of of what you were talking about of like the last six years, right? Which is really, mm. it, it's pretty cool how, like if, if I saw one or two of your pieces, like let's say the pieces that are in your studio now, like, you know, I could imagine the rest of the show having a look of similarity of like this mm -hmm. rhythmic pulsation of a certain aspect ratio. I mean, your stuff gets funky, like, you know, the, the <laughs> sizes of it get long and skinny or vertical or horizontal. Like you're yeah. really playing around with the, you know, the different formal qualities of how this stuff can like move. Yeah. There's a lot of options, which I'm thrilled about, you know, because I, I was in the beginning like, okay, here's my idea. And I kept making similar pieces one after the next. And then eventually, like I said, without really thinking or beating myself up about it too hard, things that just evolve on their own, you know? Yeah. So, I try to, you know, I'm able to go different directions within the, these parameters, you know, with these skills and tools and materials. Um, but I just feel like I'm just scratching the surface with it. You know, I feel like there's a lot, a lot of room to grow in this body of work. And I, I'm also, I do make some freestanding works. I've got some stuff I'm working on with that. I moved into a new studio and there's a, um, there's a whole fabrication studio right across the hall. Nice. A total full wood shop. We've got CNC machines, Wait, which at, I kind of at your leisure. Yeah, basically. Nice. I mean, I don't, they don't drop what they're doing for me. Right. But 
I almost had a few pieces made for the show that um, the time, the the show deadline, it was just too tight. I decided to keep it a little simpler and just focus on the wall works. But there's plenty of plenty of work that's going to be coming out in the next hopefully six seven months. Nice freestanding stuff. Um, it's still very related to the wall works, but. And I do think about flat, uh, flat painting as well, which I think, I don't know, I might just have to hide those from everyone. Does <laughs> it no feel, but it, because you're working so much with this sort of spatial play of light and mm-hmm. shadow and stuff, does the idea of the 2D stuff feel like walking around naked on set or something? Well, um, yeah, maybe so. Yeah. It's just, Saying that you're a painter and going out in the world and being a painter, there is serious competition. I mean, crazy competition. Just a flat surface with paint on it. To be successful, you, you've got to be a total badass with that, you know? And I don't think any of the paintings I made in the past were good enough to contend with some of these painters that were, were around these days. Listen, if... I think personally, you know, if if you say just off the cuff, all right, you're going to make an abstract painting or a formal painting that's three-dimensional, I I think that's probably just as hard to pull something off that's not, you know, cheesy or lame or just like, yeah, Yeah, that's true. I guess it's just that in a way it's apples and oranges because you, they're both painting, like the, your work are, they're paintings, but it's just, you know, it's moving into space, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think you could do it. All right. I'll ride that wave. <laughs> I'll send you some images. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. You can I'll tell be, me if they're... You can confide in me. I'll, I'll give you the honest okay. feedback. I won't, I won't... All right. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I make, you know, I make uh, sculpture that I never oh, show. really? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I like very rarely show it but they're all paper. Oh, cool. If you can see that I have to, think. yeah, yeah. I don't have my picture on. Cause yeah. Yeah. So I make like paper, like just stuff out of paper, yeah. usually flowers, very like well little done. sculptures of books and stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, I just, I never show it, but I love doing it. But then I, well, that's, I put it in a gallery. I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd have what you have where I'd be like, well, you know, it's fun to make or, but is mm-hmm. it really, is it strong enough to hold a discussion in that media, which is kind of foolish because really it just, it is what it is. We shouldn't, we shouldn't care about that at all. Really. But it's been ingrained or tattooed in there somehow, like in high school art classes. I don't know when. Well, I think I, you know, the back to those guys, my buddies I was living with, you know, I feel like we were all pretty competitive. You know, we were young dudes in our, you know, early twenties, just like we were all making art and I feel like we were trying to outdo each other. It was a healthy competition. I think has probably stuck with me on some level. So yeah, I don't know. I that's part of it. It was like when those freestyle skaters started trying to do regular skateboarding and you were like, wait a minute. <laughs> and then you realized that. years later <laughs> they were doing the tricks that actually became, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like they were way ahead of the curve. Yeah. When you saw them, when you were skating, you were like, that's, 
Bulk or like what is that? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you realize, oh my God, those guys were like Yeah. With Rodney Mullen on Rodney Mullen was like pro tier way long before everyone else. Yeah. Visionary. Yeah, total visionary. I mean it it was almost dorky. Yeah. But it was unbelievable. Yeah, but, and there would always be in the skate video that like two or three minutes they would they would give to the freestyle guy. And the, you're like, oh, boy, here we go. With his like yeah. jumping up and down like a pogo stick. Did his board have <laughs> did his board have a skeleton on it or cards like player cards? Oh, or something? I don't I don't remember. I just remember the shape being bizarre. Yeah, and right. now it's the shape that all the boards are now. Uh, some people are just ahead of their time. Yeah, badass. Yeah, I think you're ahead of your time. This is what painting is going to be. All right. Yeah, I'll take it. Just throw a couple LED screens in there, and <laughs> you got to make it know, digital. I've, I've had that recommended before. Oh, geez, was that the same guy I told you to make everything out of steel? No, but similar type of person. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, you can't help but wonder what direction they could go in or suggest it to the artist. Oh yeah, that kind of freestyling when people do that, as annoying as it could be, it means that they're really excited about the work yeah they're know? they're spending time actually trying to move it forward serious contemplation usually it's why don't you put some light bulbs in there wouldn't that be cool in the shadows be right cool? little tube of neon mm-hmm. just weatherford yeah. it just stick a big old neon tube on it yeah i gotta she needs her space right right <laughs> So is it uh, is it exclusively Zeppelin in the studio when you're working, or do you what do you do? What's the audio? Yeah, I, I knew you were going to ask this question. I'm predictable, um, <laughs> and I, I I keep my earbuds in all day. Yeah, most of the time, if you're around my studio, it's like no noise at all until it's time to start. Something's been decided on, and I start cutting things up. You know, with this past totally fucked six years i just got deeply into the political world oh yeah just you could not well you know in the beginning it was just like okay this isn't gonna happen but i'm gonna listen closely and then it happened and you know and then it was like well we're gonna he's gonna be taken out of office in like two days so i'm gonna keep listening and waiting for that to happen and it never did, unfortunately, but, um, yeah, I went hard that route. And I finally had been able to put that down and life is better for sure. Yeah. That wormhole, um, right? It's the, dark. I did it after nine yeah. eleven. Oh, I bet. Cause I saw, yeah. you know, I was, I was here when that, when it happened and I saw that and it just, just, you know, it just fried some wires in the brain and I was just, yeah. you know, freaked out, man, watching news, like, freebasing 24-hour news cycles. Yeah, and, yeah. And it just never ended. Like, one thing led to another, and it was like, we'll go in the war, and like, all this. Yeah, I mean, it was, and it was all bullshit. Oh, yeah, and it was like a bad <laughs> drug, man. It was like a bad trip that I just couldn't shake. Yeah. And I remember yeah. one day, I think, it was like, it felt like one day in the studio where I turned the news off while I was painting, and I put on a Yankees game, and I felt mm-hmm. like I, you know, I kicked it or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. I was like, ah, hey, you know what? I'm walking away. You know what I, I do to like truly relax? You know, everything in our contemporary society is so cynical, you know. Of course. Television, every, our clicks. conversations. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's what sells. Just, I mean, we, we're all so cynical. And um, 
and look, I can, I can hang with that. But when I really want to take time off, I watch old TV from like the fifties and six, like the, um, I'll leave it to beaver. I've watched a little bit of that. Mr. Ed. Remember the, the talking horse? Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember Mr. Ed, but, uh, like, uh, you know, Dennis the menace oh, or, yeah. um, what's the name of with, with, with the small town cop. I, this is the one I watched the most. Oh, uh, uh, Andy, Andy Griffith Andy Griffith show. Yeah. Or the Twilight Zone, something like that. I'll never yeah. not hear that. You know, that whistle yeah. is ingrained. Well, you watch that stuff and it's completely devoid of cynicism. What, there's zero. And you know what's going to happen. It's all predictable. And there's something about that that I find deeply relaxing. Sounds good. Right. And there's a little nostalgia in there too, which I'm sure, like, yeah. you know is a nice touch, a nice garnish on the whole experience. Yeah, totally. I mean, I haven't watched every episode or even, but that kind of thing. I even started reading like dime store Western novels and things like that, where it's the same story every time. But I don't know. It takes you the time before whatever this is. It sounds like a sort of augmented meditation. You know what I mean? Yeah. I get it. I have to go to the gym. I feel like the mm-hmm. gym for me is when I can like turn it off. Step step out of it. Yeah, yeah just focus on like what I'm working on or, or you know, yeah. like feeling. And then it just yeah. takes my mind out of all the crap, you know? And it's yeah. usually like really early or really late. So it's also in a different time, you know? And I, mm-hmm. I feel like when I'm working, you know, when you're working in the studio and you hit like the fifth hour or something and you're just cruising and there's a yeah, certain yeah. like meditative thing to that. Mm-hmm that's all housed within the thing you love to do. But sometimes it's nice to step away from that. Cause then you feel like if you can get that experience in something else, that's like a hobby or something outside of your thing. Yeah, that that's you're doing, even better. It's even better yeah. because for some reason it's even more relaxing. Yeah. In a way. Well, it's done simply to relax. Yeah. I mean, I, I am, I, you know, I was talking about being able to kind of shape my life and control which direction it was going in. And, you know, being able to work in the studio alone is just a dream, you know? Yeah. And, th- and that's, you know, me keeping my hands busy and just, just working. Because I'm not always listening to politics. Sometimes I'll just turn everything off and just work. And that's a really nice feeling, especially that fifth, sixth hour that we're talking about. I don't know where I'd be without it, man. They got to, they don't know. I get it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the alternative would have been. It's good stuff, you know. It's not yeah. easy for for the difficulties of sustaining a life in that sort of autonomous zone, you know, of just like, you know, no rules in a way or just like yeah. lawlessness and carte blanche all the time and it's like everything's up to you in a way. There's yeah. a, a real beauty to it too, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like uh, exploring or like like people who like to camp or, explore, you know, just be sort of subjected to the environment. I feel like there's a certain element of that in making work where it's just like, you know, it's kind of the great unknown. Yeah, I mean, it's totally, it basically is nothing more than exploring, you know? Yeah. Well, maybe it's once good. in a while you could turn off the news and put Rage Against the Machine. It'll it'll give you your <laughs> political fix. Yeah, look, yeah. I certainly, I mean... I, 
to to name a few, like Radiohead was huge for me. Yeah, and I still am able to listen to that. For I find something I I'll do is like if I if I'm listening to an album and a certain track puts me exactly where I want to be in my my state of mind, I'll listen to that track over and over for days. Yeah, and just stay in that spot. It's funny because I I've heard a lot of artists say that, and I've done it too, where I've gotten into a song and I'll loop it. Yeah, and I don't. It's think more than just like, oh, I like this song. Right. It's like, no, it's the trance. I don't know. Yeah, it puts you. Yeah, trances are great. I love those. But I don't think <laughs> a lot of people do that willingly. You know, just loop one song randomly. Like someone yeah, I'm driving never... a car and work or something like a banker. I don't think they're putting on you know. A, a certain like I'm a creep or something and putting that on over and over again and right. <laughs> I think yeah. we can uh, a lot of artists can do that where they can get lost in what they're doing and then it becomes this kind of like weird like repetitive soundtrack that you get lost in yeah it's pretty cool it's awesome I'm always looking for that definitely yeah there's, and there's a lot of good music like that that works in that setting you know yeah some better than others but you know, I'm not I'm not the 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 fan of music. I mean, I love music. Don't get me wrong, but you know, when we're younger, we're just deeply passionate about it. I'm just kind of not there anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I still listen to a lot of the same stuff I listened to when I was younger. I don't know how to find new music. You know. Yeah, it's sometimes I, a younger person turns me on to something. I was going to say having or, students helps. You know. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. I don't know. If anyone has some recommendations, send them my way. I'll share some playlist. Do you do online, like the streaming stuff? Yeah, I mean, I've got uh, Spotify or whatever. I'll give you some playlists. All right. Put me up. So how can people check out your work? People in New York can see it. Do you have anything yeah, you up, go, any other things up? Or like, what do you have got going? Um, right now, it's the show at The Hole with uh, Adam Parker Smith. He's in the the back gallery he's got a cool show up um so that's in new york and then uh i'll have a piece or two in the armory with the hole this year and then i i do a, i have a lot of fans in korea and, um, you know so i noticed that it's pretty cool yeah it's it's wild it's great how did that happen? Um, like how did specifically the korean connection happen instagram Nice. Everything happens on Instagram. It does get Kathy you out contacted there. me. I think she saw me on Instagram, you know, back in like twenty sixteen or something. Yeah. And she um she offered me that first show at the hole. And then um I do I've done, you know, group shows here and there. Right. Um I've worked with a couple of different galleries here in Los Angeles. But upcoming will be the armory and then um Kiof is a fair in Korea in Seoul. It's a nice one. And then uh Art Busan. I'll I'll have some work in that fair as well. And then the next solo will be in Seoul in Korea in twenty twenty two. Nice. I haven't quite nailed down the date yet, but have you been? Um yeah, I went for my my first show when was that twenty nineteen maybe? 2020? I don't know. Not too long ago. Yeah. Um, what is time post-COVID, really? 
man blur and los angeles you know the weather doesn't change oh here. yeah it's an infinity loop it's it's crazy if you're if you're living in la or you want to come here and work or you know i don't know just just know that time moves three times faster than you think it yeah. does you just look up and all of a sudden two years have gone by and i think it has something to do with the consistency in the weather but it's shocking. Yeah, I'm sure it's heads up. It speeds it up a little bit. It's like yeah. kids. For some reason, like when I had my kid, it was like time just hit a warp speed. Oh yeah, you <laughs> can't imagine. What yeah. like. nothing makes but, you feel older. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what we do, right? Yeah. Well, Korea seems amazing. I haven't been, and I'm dying to go because we go to Japan. It, well, I mean, pre-COVID, I go to Japan pretty much like every year, and. Um, yeah, I just I really would love to go to Seoul and check it out. Yeah, I'd love to go check out Tokyo and go around Japan. It was great. You know, the gallery they contacted me, um, sent me an email through my website, and just they, they asked if I wanted to do something with them. And you know, with any gallery that you don't know about, you're like, you know, you're kind of excited, and but you don't know, and you don't want to get into business with the wrong people and right so i was very cautious um we started very slow uh i sent a few pieces for a fair and everything went smoothly so and we had stayed in pretty consistent touch and i still ha- i still hadn't really seen the space i'd seen some images and i basically had to just hope it worked out and i agreed to a show and shipped the work out and they flew us out and I walked into the gallery and was very pleased. They do it right space. over there. Yeah, in Asia. they I mean, do. You don't. That's the one thing you don't have to worry about. It's like yeah. half-assing it. You know what I mean? They do not half-ass no, anything. I'm very impressed. Yeah, it's just the doing better, business with them. It's been fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. If anyone has experience working with like, I mean, I'm sure it's not every. I'm generalizing, but I mean, just in Asia, the, you know, the amount of like professionalism and timeliness mm-hmm. and like i don't know it's just like you know it's yeah. done right a lot of stuff yeah. is just done right so yeah so I was, I was very happy about that um it went well like they took us around they took us outside of seoul to kind of the outskirts yeah got out into the kind of the sticks out there which was really nice went to some nice restaurants and showed us around I didn't get to spend as much time as I'd like, but um, maybe next time I can. Yeah. Are you uh, are you Rosetta stoning it? How's your Korean? <laughs> I just, I, I'm sorry to say I'm not even going to try. I just, <laughs> I don't know, man. Hey, we can't do it's it rough. All. We can't do it all in life. It's rough. It you know, I, I wish I, I wish I at least spoke some Spanish. I took two years of Spanish in uh, school, but none I didn't want to do it, so none of it stuck. So yeah, it's it's one of those things you just gotta work that part of your brain. I think from when you're young yeah. or something. But I love yeah. languages. I'm fascinated by it. If I could go back, I think that'd be one thing I do is just study a ton of languages. Yeah, try to become a polyglot, you know, and to just be able to travel everywhere and speak to people would be really cool. That'd be amazing. But we yeah, but we have art, and that speaks to people no matter what exactly. The Everyone knows exactly what I'm trying to get across. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <Right. laughs> 
says the artist. Which is, <laughs> which is, which is, just calm down. It's all right. It's going to be okay. <laughs> right. We'll make just it through. A moment. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the goal. So. Cool, man. Well, listen, that was, it was great to meet and talk. Yeah, no, it was. Thanks for thinking of me, man. Yeah, sure. I really, you know, I've listened to your podcast for a few years now and it's, it's, uh, you're doing a service, man. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm helping people catch up on their sleep all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt for some people. Yeah. But for young artists, you know, like, you know, getting to hear how people get it and how they got to where they, they got is, is a really fascinating thing. And I think it inspires a lot of people. I hope so. so. I mean, we di- I didn't have it when I was young. You know, it would have been cool to like pop in a tape of, you know, someone saying, Here's what you can do. So hopefully, yeah, that works. yeah, and reinforcing that there aren't really rules. Right, that would have been nice to hear. There's multiple paths. Yeah, not like yeah, when that's I was it. in school. Was like undergrad, grad school, New York, blah blah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like that one thing. So there's a lot of ways. Yeah. you know. Yeah, for sure. Does it seem like that's? No, we'll, we'll get into that <laughs> off the record. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, man. It was great to talk. Yeah. Yeah. You too, man. Many thanks to Robert for taking the time out to talk. Many thanks to Fulcrum Coffee for their sponsorship, for keeping me caffeinated for all these conversations and for the intros. And when it's late at night and I'm trying to stay awake finishing these up fulcrum's keeping me alive uh, many thanks to golden artist colors for their long withstanding uh, sponsorship of the podcast keeping me moving in the studio working for these upcoming shows and uh, many thanks to the new york studio school for their sponsorship check out their programs nyss.org many thanks to lolotone and to michael lovett for the introduction and many thanks to you for listening listeners we got some more great episodes coming up so make sure you stay tuned be well